everyone, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast. I am your host, as always, Timuchin in Chicago, and we have quite the show today. A lot of celebrating to do and patting on the back and all that kind of stuff. So let's start with who is here, and the usual gang is here. Uh, looking very cold, and oh my god, I can't believe you just folded the scarf as well. Uh, Bickler is with us. Bickler, what's happening? Let's get after it. I'm feeling classy. <laughs> Uh, people are missing the the heads uh, headphones you had on earlier because that was really completely the work. <laughs> but we'll save that for next week. Galley is also with us. Galley, what's happening? Yeah, DJ Paul showed up to start the podcast, and uh, he's going to come and make an appearance next week, I think. But uh, yeah, in uh, in honor of Liverpool's victory yesterday, figured I'd show up today not drenched in champagne, uh, but it was a little bit of a loud morning if you know what i mean here in the galvin household because i got the wife to get out yesterday and i got her to celebrate all afternoon and into the early hours of the night so it was a, a long day for the uh for the fantasy champion that is the better half of the galvin household i think it's nice that you get to celebrate something too i mean she gets to celebrate the fantasy football every freaking week probably rubbing it in so this is a chance for you to be happy you deserve to be happy as well galley not only her in that household so uh, i was actually that. in milwaukee uh we were there to pick up layla and stuff with jazz and honestly i normally especially finals i don't enjoy as much watching in a large group it was fun as hell but i think the presence of chelsea fans Kind of like made it worse, but that made it really nice at the end as they were leaving with all like, you know, <laughs> all depressed. But yeah, it just makes it very hard to watch. Uh, I don't know. At least it like kind of like throws me off. But a lot to talk about. It was an unreal game overall. Um, I mean, we were talking about this on the podcast on Thursday. Uh, Chris Strain uh, was kind of like making these predictions which made me at least sleep all the way to Sunday. But, man, I probably died like eight times during that game. It was just not a good one for the heart, that's for sure, but a great game to watch. But let's start with our regular, the trivia. Because, And honestly, I was going to take it easy on you guys this week and throw some, like, beach balls, like who skied the penalty kick in the finals kind of stuff. Sure you but, were. Our friend, B I was, I was, I'm serious. Uh, but BJ is here to save the day. He sent actually like a bunch of questions. And so I'm going to pick one that I feel is actually pretty darn good. So since the this one obviously went all the way, 11-10 is how we want it. Long-ass penalty kick. One of the longest ones I watched in a long time that I remember, actually. Uh, there was one in Afghan that felt like two forever, too, but... So, this is since 1974. What is the longest penalty kick that Liverpool has been involved in? Oh, man. So, it's relatively recent history. No, this, this is relatively recent history, I think. It's like, I can't remember if it was the League Cup or the FA Cup. But it was one of those, and it would have been like 2015 uh, or six, 2015 or six. I'll go 2016. It was like Middlesbrough, and it went like forever. This is getting ridiculous. I think BJ is giving you guys the answer. No, I've been asking BJ questions. The only reason that I answer. You, <laughs> you, you go him. 
The only reason I remember this is because I had like I had Ari was the only child that I had over like five at the time. And like I was trying to watch the game and we ended up at the aquarium in Long Beach. And that game was so long that like I thought I had time to watch it. And like basically the game ended after we got done with the aquarium. It was so long. Like the penalties were like I'm sitting in the aquarium on my phone trying to be a good dad. And like I'm like watching these penalty kicks for like an hour and a half. It was ridiculous. Yeah, and I, I know the answer. It, it definitely, and I don't even have the comments open right now, so I can't even see them. Cause so I how many penalties? It. It's like, I want to say it was like maybe 18, 15, somewhere. It was, it was high teens because we went through Mignolet, and then we ended up guys having to kick, four or five guys kicked twice, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, what was the final score, people? Let's not dive the questions. I, I'll say we, we want to know what the final final score of the penalty kicks god oh, it's a guess for me i because there were actually ones missed and saved during it like three different times to tie it up i'm gonna say it was like 14 to 15 or something like that and what it was got, definitely Nicole? middlesbrough no question I mean, dude, you. I feel like I feel like the designated slow kid. I go first, and then I let Galley answer, and then I get to take <laughs> off his. Like, it's ridiculous. Um, I'll go like. Uh, I'll go sixteen fifteen. It was fourteen thirteen. So BJ says, ask him a tough one. This is not as tough, but I thought this was pretty interesting. Again, since the seventy four seventy five season. How many penalty kicks have Liverpool been involved in? And how many of them did they win? Since when? 74-75 again. Oh, geez. I mean, I feel like... BJ started keeping records at that year. I feel like we've had eight of them versus Chelsea in the last two years. Um. (laughs) Yep, Galley looks confused. He's out of fingers. It's more than I have, <laughs> and there lies the problem. Take a guess. I thought this was like an interesting stat, actually. 84, 94. It's 30 years. It's more than that. 40, 45 years. Yeah. I'll say 13. What do you have, Bickler? 13 penalty kicks in 45 years. Man, I. Thir- 13 sets of penalties. That's what you're saying, right? We went to penalties in a match? Yes. You're saying 13 times we went to penalties is your answer. I, I, it was how many times we won. Yes. Uh, that, seems really lo- that, that seems really low to me. I'll go... I'll go 34. What? Damn, that was too high. 25 is the answer. And right we in the won 18 of them. Which is a seventy-two percent winning percentage, That's which good. is actually pretty decent. So, I asked you, was it? I, I thought the question was, and I'm being honest here. I, think, I thought it was player. how many times did we win in penalties? That's why I said thirteen. Well, you're still I wrong. I thought it was how many times we won. <laughs> you know what I don't like about this division? I really don't like when we ask for clarity on a question and you shame us because I watch those little fuckers on the spelling bee, and when they do it, they're a genius. But when we do it in Correct. trivia, 
We're okay, just done you, that. You guys can subtract two thousand twenty-two from seventy-four. Let's not compare ourselves to kids who can spell any goddamn word in the world. So I am because it's a similar stage. The lights are bright. It's important. People are watching. We want clarity. And if I wanna, if I want an origin of a word, I feel like we deserve that. You know what Next I mean? Next time, I'm I'll start asking for in a sentence for you as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna ask you to use it in a sentence. In that sentence, I'm gonna ask you to actually clearly define the goddamn question. <laughs> That's gonna be the sentence I would like the question used in. Uh, we're, we're going to be back to my tough questions next week. Uh, okay, it. so let's get to the game. Uh, Chris Strain says, get Bickler a cup of tea to calm down. That would really get him going. If we're gonna, You got a cup of coffee or something over there? Something like that. No, yeah, that does not seem coffee in a can. Okay, so let's start with the final over here. Obviously, the lineup comes up, and I think it was kind of like what we expected, ex minus, you know, we didn't know if Jota was going to be able to play or not. And it's like, hey, it's the midfield we love and adore. And then we find out that the great. Um, What do you make of that whole ordeal? It sounds like a hamstring issue. He's definitely out for this Wednesday, but I don't think they know the extent yet of how bad the hamstring is. Problem with hamstring is if you don't really rest it for a long time, it will linger on and it will pop up left and right. So I would think, I'm guessing, at least a week or two before we see Thiago again. But what do you make of the whole ordeal? It was really depressing watching him just ball his eyes out. And to me, it felt more like more than missing the League Cup. I think it was just like a frustration of just getting injuries left and right. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll I'll take that one on, right? I mean, like that it just is on. It's so unfortunate, not only because of the timing, but because like, I mean, this is a player that when he is fit and he is in our team, he does things that no other player that we have can do, and and no other player in the world, honestly, really can do. He's he's an artist with the ball in terms of the way he sees the game, his vision, um, and he he's just. Um, ethereal in midfield so like when for that to happen was really sad seeing him cry on the sideline was like heartbreaking man that when they kept showing that shot of how upset he was um in the you know we knew that he had some injury concerns coming in they missed a lot of time throughout his career um coming in so i mean that was a concern that a lot of supporters had um he's not young you know he's he's climbing up into his 30s and well into his 30s at this point and so with that causes more soft tissue injuries. So my major concern when I look at it from a big picture perspective is like, <clears throat> am I going to have an abusive relationship with Tiago like I had with Daniel Sturridge where like I just always wanted something that was just never going to happen, right? I mean, and I think that's the sad thing is like you see you see pieces of this thing and, and, and you want more of it, right? And then like, then you just get it taken from you because his body can't, can't physically hold up. So, I mean, I think I, it's one of those things. It's a shame, but you'd almost see him miss more time and come back and have a real chance versus rushing him back and then re-aggravating the same injury, which often happens with soft tissue uh, injuries. It's just, it's, it's unfortunate. It's sad altogether. But I, I, I mean, I feel like we knew, we knew what we were getting into with Tiago, right? I mean, at least a lot of us did, and I know the club did. It's just a shame. And Klopp just talked about this, like, recently in terms of, you know, 
I mean, what a world, despite some what some experts think on Facebook, uh, what a world-class player he is. And it was just a matter of him staying fit. And he kind of like, word. I can't remember the exact wording, but he kind of made it sound like we're working on that together right now. And obviously, like a hamstring thing is kind of like an odd one. But what do you see in the long term here, Gally? Well, I mean, I, I don't think it's it's not realistic to see anything except for missed matches because that's what we've seen for two full seasons now. I mean, this isn't um, – we're not going on him being here for three months. We're going on him being here for a season and a half plus, and he's, you know, basically missed as many matches as he's played. So I think when that happens, you have to be realistic. To Paul's point – I think there is going to be a little bit of a love hate, um, you know, that kind of the, 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 what it could have been. I think that's, what's going to happen more than anything. I think at the end of this year, hopefully we have, you know, three more celebrations where we're raising trophies and we won't be talking about the players who missed time leading up to, it. but let's say this is the only trophy we lift this year. I do think there'll be some at the end of the year that says what would have, what it would have been had Tiago played all year. You know, I know a lot of people last year, what could have happened had Thiago not been injured against Everton? Um, you know, he, that's, that's always a good one. Uh, I, I think the bigger point for me is that we have to understand what we have. Um, and ultimately, we have to make sure that he's put in a position to succeed. And I think he is another guy that can't be asked to play two and three times in a week. So I think when we see him start a match, you're probably going to see him come off the bench and be a substitute in the next match. And I, I honestly think that's going to be the progression we see. He's going to be used as more of an impact player because when you ask him to play 90 minutes and then play three or four days later, it seems like he breaks down. And this isn't the first time in his career he's had these issues. Yeah, I almost feel like keep him healthy – like you're saying, use him as an impact player, play him in the big games, in the big champ. I mean, save him for like the big Champions League games and like maybe like, the, you know, I mean, obviously, obviously this would be a big game if he could play. But yeah, it was he brings something to that midfield that none of our other players can. And that's like great to have. And obviously, Keita, I thought he did decent in his place. What do you make of Keita's performance, Bickler? I thought he was quietly really, really good. I mean, I think, you know, we've we've kind of given him some stick for not getting stuck in uh, the challenges, uh, especially the last couple of weeks. He seems to be pulling out of a lot of 50-50s. Well, maybe he should have pulled out of a few 50-50s in this one. But, I mean, he, at least he got in there. And, I mean, I thought, I thought he did all the things that we miss, like with Genie being gone, where he's just like real tidy, recycles possession. I thought he won a lot of second balls. Um, which Klopp talks about. I thought he did that tremendously well. Um, and I thought his decision-making for the most part was really sound. Um, I thought he had, I like, I thought he would, like for me, he was a solid eight. I thought he had a really, really good match. See, I think that can go both ways, right? When you're not expecting to play, it can go both ways where you're suddenly thrust into the action. You might be like, oh shit, what's going on? And you might not be able to get to the pace of the game. But at the same time, you're not thinking about it at all and you're just jumping in and just playing without overthinking things, and that can't really help. And I think it did help him 
And like you're like saying, you're I mean, saying, my yeah. biggest concern with him was the fact that he was kind of like pulling out of a lot of 50-50s and stuff like that. And I know it's not really chronological order, but since you mentioned it, let's talk about that real quick. I mean, I think more than... I want to kind of like talk about how the game went overall. And obviously there are some key decisions that we got to kind of talk about. Since you, we mentioned Keita and we're talking about that, uh, let's talk about this one first. Galley. That does not look pretty over there <laughs> in the picture that we're looking at with Keita going <laughs> studs down in a very close to dangerous way. What do you make of that? Should that have been a red? Yeah, I, I honestly believe that it should have been a red. I thought it was, you know, I didn't see it live time. You know, they both go in with, you know, both their feet are high um, as it starts. But that play right there in today's football is a red card all day long. And the reason I say in today's football is, is they've taken out intent. They've taken out when you have VAR slowing everything down. The fact that he went full force with studs across another player's upper thigh to the point the guy had the guy was bleeding 99% of the time they're going to ask him to look at it I honestly believe the VAR official and we're going to get to more of this in this discussion in the next hour I think the VAR official yesterday was criminal I thought it was absolutely abhorrent and had a terrible match and really really one of the worst I've seen in a long time on both sides I think he Darren England did not want to be the story. And he knew if he sent the referee, the on-field official to the monitor, he was sending him off. And I, I genuinely think this was another example of them protecting themselves against themselves. And they figured it's cup final. We'll get away with this. To me, that's a red card all day long. And if that was done to one of the Liverpool players, there'd still be an inquest right now in all of our talk groups and all of our Facebook pages about how basically they didn't want Liverpool to win the final. So they allowed Chelsea to keep their player on the pitch. And to me, that was a red all day, but I do agree with Paul. I thought this was one of Navi finest performances of the entire season, if not his entire time at Liverpool. See, like Christian says that the picture takes it out of context. And I kind of like chose the picture on purpose because of that, because ultimately it's the, contact he makes i think bickler this makes like a great case for like a debate club somewhere because it's very easy to argue both sides but i know whenever something like this happens and i feel like it's 50 50 it can go either way i always try to in my head kind of like switch the roles and if this was done onto kata I would have wanted a red and said that should be a red all day. Intention, we know intention does not matter anymore because we've seen the call being made. So intention is, you know, out the, out the window. So to me, if this was done on Takeda, I think it would have been a red. Yellow or red or nothing for you. I mean, not to sound like an echo chamber, but I pretty much feel exactly the same way Galley does. Um, about the refereeing in general for the match. I think if this isn't a cup final, that's a straight red. Um, I think the fact that both players had their legs up does come into the conversation because they essentially both made the same challenge. But at the end of the day, what matters is one of those challenges made contact and the other one did. And so like for, for if you have two players going recklessly into a challenge in a similar fashion, I think it's only fair that the player that makes contact get, it gets the red. I mean, that's, that's, 
that's how that goes. You you make a reckless challenge and you make contact, you get a red. And what if they had both made contact? I mean, then you have a conversation, right? But like, <laughs> but they didn't. But they didn't. And I think I think we were very fortunate in that situation. I think we were very very fortunate. There were a couple of spots I think we were kind of like lucky to move on. So let's before we get to more referee decisions, let's talk about the play overall i mean after the initial kind of awkward first five ten minutes it looked like we took control of the game but galley it almost looked like we were inviting to hit us on the counter and every time they caught us in with number every time they were able to get that ball out of the press we were caught especially on trent's side and really if mason mount was had a better finishing day they could have gotten a few goals yeah, I, I, we're, we're lucky that Mason Mount wasn't at the top of his game. I, you know, when I saw the lineup come out, I thought to myself, if, if there's anyone that's going to beat us in this side, I thought it would be like Pulisic's pace on the counter, as we've seen in the past, and Mason Mount basically making deep-lying runs into the box, which we saw him do multiple times in the first half. And, you know, he misses one, he, you know, steers the other one wide. He hits the post in the second half. I think you saw that their best player hasn't played much football in the last 45 days. You know, Mason Mount's been out for a bit, and I think they rushed him back a little bit. And I think that really played into our hands. As far as Trent, you know, at times his defensive positioning was criminal. It it was. He was leaving players out. He left Matzev out to dry a couple times. Um, He, you know, did what he always does with Hendo. And, you know, this is my problem with statistics. I think statistics can be used to paint any picture you want to paint. So, you know, uh, LFC stats wanted to paint, you know, the best right back in the world. So they use statistics to show you why you had an outstanding game. And, you know, I think that's the problem with stats. They only tell part of the story and your eyeball tells the rest. And to me, he looked like he was just hell-bent on going forward. He was hell-bent on, you know, getting Mo involved into the match, which I think was a, was a little bit of a struggle for the entire side for the first half. And I, you know, that was not an afternoon that I felt, you know, Trent covered himself in glory. And honestly, I felt that he really made Matip look – he made Matip – he put Matip in tough spots basically for 90 minutes. And we're pretty lucky that, you know, the one time it was really exposed, the referee called it offside, whether he was or not, you know, we'll never know. Yeah. Cause the LFC stats tweeted this out and it's a bunch of like, you know, if you're watching us on the video version or actually you can watch the video version afterwards throughout the week as well. But you know, it's a bunch of the stats for him, uh, this game and it says superb performance. And I thought out of the entire team, uh, definitely was one player that struggled the most for me, especially defensively. And my thing is, it's not... When you say positioning, Galley, I kind of like want to divide it into two. Because when we're attacking, perhaps, I mean, he does slide towards a lot in the middle and stuff. That seems to be by design. And that's, you know, what we're doing. Somehow we should be compensating for that. And the ball goes behind them. I'm assuming somebody should be covering that, not Trent. I refuse to believe Trent is just like wandering out there and not coming back. Let's hope that's not the case. But my bigger thing is when he is on defense, there are so many times where 
like he almost gets played where you know like two passes and he loses this guy and the ball is suddenly behind them or instead like he almost like tries to bait the pass and intercept it i think his aggressive tactics sometimes can kind of backfire he almost like you know teases that pass like let's say down the line and then tempts the other player to do it but if he doesn't intercept it now you left the guy behind you and he's gone and it happened a lot in that final and it kind of like happens regularly i guess and yeah i mean the right center back is always the one struggling i don't know if you know obviously Kanada had a bit easier time with it but what do you make of that bickler i mean like both parts i guess the initial positioning when we're attacking where he suddenly gets caught out of space and when he's actually already back playing defense yeah i'm not gonna be very nice to trent and i love trent and i think that at parts I think there are stretches, especially at the beginning of the year, where he's unplayable. Like, I think he has the potential when he's on top of his game to be the best right back in the world. I thought he was awful, and I thought legitimately he was a liability, like, for the entire 90 minutes. I didn't think he was particularly good going forward. Um, Number one in chances created, definitely number one in chances attempted. Like, I just – I didn't think anything came off offensively for him. I don't understand what he does when he comes – like, I understand that, like, so he gets a lot of slack for not not getting back, right? And I think the majority of those times, he's positionally where he's supposed to be in the setup tactically. You have Hendel folding back in as a fourth center back. Matip slides over. That generally works itself out. Or Fabinho, whoever's in that spot. It generally works itself out. My problem with Trent, and, and you know, like Chris is mentioning in the comments, is given instructions to move up. Yes, and for the most part, he has been given instruction to move up. But the way that it happens is like Hendo or Fabinho, whoever's in that spot, basically slides down and a center back moves over to fill in. And that's all fine and well. My problem with Trent was not only was he positionally lost a lot of the times without somebody folding in under him, and I don't know if that was by design or not yesterday, but my problem was when he was back – he wasn't showing the player that was on the ball into help side defense, and he wasn't showing him outside. He was basically just retreating and then failing to close down the cross every single time. It was cross after cross after cross. And, like, the number one thing Klopp always talks about is that goals are scored when they don't close down the cross from the outside. And he never got to it. And it was always there. And he would literally give them four feet – and then, like, it was almost like he was afraid to get beat off the dribble. And, like, I just, like, he's so fast and there's help there. I just didn't get it. He, it was, he, was, he was really, really bad. Yeah, and I think that's, like, the most frustrating part. I mean, we love him going up top. And like Chris is saying, I can understand that being instructional. Like him, we see a lot more of it. It's not coincidence that he keeps sliding towards the middle. But I don't know if he's picking the right spots to do that sometimes because it's kind of new. Because if Hendo is supposed to cover you and you see Hendo on the wing trying to set a triangle with Mo and you suddenly go to the middle, well, there's no way Hendo can cover you now if he was supposed to originally. Like I said, we don't know the details of like who's supposed to cover. My bigger concern is kind of like what you're saying when he's back there. And his instructions are definitely not to let that cross in because every time it happens, Van Dyke lets him have it. Uh, just like he does with Robo. I mean, they're supposed to stop that ball from being delivered into the box because that's when bad things happen. And it's, yeah, like you're saying, Bigler, it felt like it kept happening over and over and over again. 
I mean, we did kind of like manage to hold them on for the most part. I don't think they were as dangerous that way. They were more dangerous, you know, trying to beat us the high line with the balls over and stuff like that. A couple of them, especially the one where he hit the post and stuff like that, was like well-timed passes that they beat that line. But do not get the goal. So I'm going to kind of like fast forward a little bit and then we'll go back to uh, some of the player performances again. But let's go to our goal because I know this is this could be one where we do not agree. Gally, let's start with you. That goal happened, and, you know, I was at the pub. Everybody's going nuts. You know, I'm in the habit of, and so it's Stitch over here, in the habit of waiting till we're 100% sure before we head to the snack ball. And I waited. I was worried about the offsides first. And I did say when the first high, like the replay happened, that's a nice scream by Van Dyke there, was the first thing I said out loud. And then I was like, oh, it's no offsides because I was I didn't know if Mane was going to be off or not. I was like, oh, OK, it's time to celebrate. I actually started taking pictures of the pub and stuff. And then we go to VAR Galley. Yeah, and, and I got to be honest, and my biggest issue, I, I mentioned it to you guys in prepping for this, like it's the communication between the VAR, the commentators, the fans in the supporters in the ground like. There's just no understanding. I mean, the Everton match, we all thought it was either offsides or what was going on, why it wasn't handball. And then after the match, the announcers are telling you that's what they think it is because they have no communication. So there's just no way to educate the viewer. I still am not sure. Did they call Virgil offsides? Did they say that he interfered with the play because he started in an offside position and blocked off the defender? Or did they call a foul on him for blocking off the defender? Either way, I understand why they chopped the goal off. I don't know that it was the right call. You know, if you deem that Virgil is in an offside position, right, and he is clearly offsides when the play starts, and he blocks off the defender there to defend Mane, then he has interfered with the play from an offside position. But I always thought the whole point of the offside was, was he in a way – involved in the play that makes defending it tougher, which I don't see Van Dyke make any effort to play that ball. So to me, these, the, again, this, the whole rule and the actual application of the rule makes no sense unless you're calling a foul of some kind against Van Dyke. So the block in the box. The way I saw it is it is a foul, but it's a foul committed by a player who is offside. So offsides comes first. Therefore it's offsides. I mean, Chris Rainey says that was a goal. I disagree. He is in the play. If Van Dyke is not there, that goal is not happening. Cause I don't think that ball is getting at least money. doesn't have all day in terms of timing to be able to head that ball back in. So I thought what I, I hated it. Didn't even think about it. Like I said, the first, cause like I said, the first thing I said was that was a nice screen by Van Dyke. Meaning if Van Dyke is not there setting that screen, I think that goal does not happen. So I kind of like agree with the call. And I think that's why, cause when he came out, he did the offsides, like the indirect kick thing, but basically he's involved in the play. We could argue that is he, is that a foul or not? But I don't think it matters, Bickler, because he's still in the play, which means it's offside, right? Or yeah, I agree with you. <clears throat> and it took me a while to get there. 
because my first reaction, no, seriously, my first reaction was VAR. And after the last week of watching VAR decisions, City game included, my God, was that VAR is going to find any way to disallow a goal they could possibly do. They're going to basically forensically dissect the play until they figure out a way to chalk off a goal. And that's what it felt like. That was my reaction to that. The more I watched it, the more I do clearly see a, a Liverpool player offsides essentially affecting a play. And like, so I get that. Um, I didn't like it. And, and the reason I didn't like it is not because I'm obviously I'm a Liverpool fan. The reason I didn't like it is because it felt soft against the run of play. You're in a cup final where you're letting these guys play in general. They're banging. It's a physical game. And then you call a relatively soft foul on a player that was marginally offsides. It just felt like it went against the grain of the way the game was being played in general. I felt better about it when they called Lukaku offsides, if I'm being honest. Just yeah, by it. I believe that shouldn't be considered off. Because because I got to tell you, in all honesty, if I was a Chelsea uh, fan, I'd be fucking livid. Because, I mean, to me, well, like, the, that's that's just the epitome of what's wrong with offsides and VAR in general. The, the entire purpose of offsides, and I'm sorry to get off on another topic, but the, the entire point of the offside thing was to basically minimi- minimize the advantage defenders have, right? That's the entire reason offside was created. And we've now dissected it to the point where we're calling sleeves offsides. It's just gotten fucking ridiculous. And I thought he was onside. Even when they even when they striped it down and put the lines and everything, I would have been livid if I was a Chelsea fan. I, that's another case where I thought we kind of got away with one. Yeah, because when I saw that, my reaction was a couple of expletives and like, he's on. And, you know, I was yeah. like, you know, we, they're like showing it and we're like at the table with the girls and Ainge. And I looked at Ainge and I was like, he's freaking on. And yeah. I might have flung my cell phone at the time. Uh, that cell phone got flung several times, but then thanks to the AR, I was able to pick it back up. Uh, but uh, what did you make of that one, Galley? Yeah, I, I had him on side as well. I, I I dropped a few explosives in the pub, and Kelly reminded me that there were children eating in the restaurant, which prompted me to That's drop an F bomb and say, which 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 prompted me to drop an F bomb and say, if they bring their fucking kids here, they deserve to hear my fucking mouth. Um, which didn't make her happy, but you know, I think the father thought it was great because he was like, see, when the kid says F bombs, like we can blame this loud Italian kid over here. It ain't me. Um, but really, I, I thought he was onside. I thought he was onside in real time. Um, I thought he was onside when I first saw it. And I think I made a comment a few weeks back when we were going through one of the bar, you know, debacles as I feel like it is actually a mechanism to stop goals from counting more than it is a mechanism to get calls correct. And we literally look at minutia. We, we need an inquest, right, to figure out how that ball that hits Rodri's arm isn't a handball, Right. It, it makes no sense. Even Pep says that's a handball. Yet we talk about literally fingernails and inches, fractions of inches on 3D lines being put on a screen as if they're fact. And I just don't understand that logic. Like that's where I struggle so much with VAR. And I think the application in this entire match was poor. I think that if I were a Chelsea supporter today, I would feel agreed that that goal didn't count. And I'm pretty sure there are some people over in England writing that Chelsea was actually given an apology because they're basically claiming that the lines aren't the same. 
because of all the extra cameras in Wembley. And literally, they're basically saying they think they screwed it up. That's how bad these guys are running this. At this That's, point. It's, it's unreal crazy. that that is possible. It's really. just asinine that they would like, we can't have VAR in the league cup lower level rounds because the cameras aren't good enough in non Premier league stadiums. And now you're telling me at a stadium that, you know, will host an, you know, a world, a women's world cup in a, in the Euro final, you don't have the technology in place to get proper 3d lines. It's, it's just asinine. They will find ways to make excuses. And all it is, is ineptitude covering up ineptitude. Yeah, I thought that was, it was where the line was drawn, like where it was marked to Lukaku, because it was like in his elbow or something. It looked like that's the part that I didn't get. I mean, I'm not going to make a big stink of it, but in the grand scheme of things, it's another time, I think, where we kind of got away with it. I know we talk a lot about, you know, the stuff that we go, you know, have go against us. You got to kind of like sometimes acknowledge that, you know, got away with one. Like the Kata thing, it's debatable. I mean, Lukaku thing, I guess it is. it shouldn't be debatable because it should be down to signs, right? Cameras, lines, what have you. But when that's being drawn all over the place. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. But let's go back to the game. And I just want to talk about the substitutions because I know I kind of scratched my head. I mean, I guess it did pay off in the grand scheme of things. But Bickler, let's start with you on this one. So they make some substitutions, obviously bring Lukaku in. Um, but then we bring in Harvey, Lee, Harvey for Jordan. And then we bring in Milner for Keita, and then obviously Jota for Mane. What do you make of those? I know, I think your initial reaction was, Milner? Question marks. If I Yeah, I hated two of those subs, so that's 50-50 for me, which is fairly on point. I usually think (laughs) think Jurgen Klopp just fucks with me with substitutions. Um, But, uh, yeah, no, I don't love Milner in any capacity. I thought the time to sub Milner on would have been an extra time. Uh, right before the pens. That's when I would have done it. Like it last possible, substitution, if you will. Last possible moment. <laughs> like just, you know, NBA it and call a timeout and then sub them in. Um, no, like I uh, and I didn't love the Kanate one as much as I do love Kanate. I didn't love that substitution because, dude, I'm not messing with that back line at this point in the game. Like that's just – to me that was kind of crazy. Um, the more I thought about it and the more I watched it and I watched the game again – I mean, Chelsea clearly were targeting Lukaku in a way that, I mean, just from like a standpoint of looking at like the roster, would you rather have Lukaku try to body up Kanate or Mate? Yeah. Kanate, right? So like the more I thought about that, the more I didn't hate that. I just hated the timing of it. It felt like, man, do you really want to play with the back line right now? Like I would have almost rather them just subbed in Milner for Trent and had Milner camp out at right back and just it be what it is um, if you're playing for the draw. Um, I didn't know that Milner had enough to put in 45 minutes into a match. Like, I just didn't know he had that. Um, and I just thought that was kind of a dicey move. Harvey for Hendo made sense to me. I thought Hendo, man, he just looks like he's struggling with fitness right now. He just doesn't look all the way back. Like, he just doesn't look himself – I think Harvey gives you a little bit more creativity in that same spot. And Harvey, Trent, and Mo have a really, really good chemistry going on right now. So I thought maybe we would see some more. Like Rudiger did a job on Mo. I mean, we just have to acknowledge that. Like he basically, Mo was a ghost for large 
portions of that match. And that is down to Rudiger just basically smothering him and doing a really nice job. Um, I mean, with anybody who successfully defends Mo, it takes an entire team. It wasn't just Rudiger. I mean, they, they were rotating Alonso back a lot, but they did a solid jo on, a job on him. So I thought the Harvey sub may have been sort of trying to attack that and get Mo more involved. That made sense to me. Um, and then Jota, of course, makes sense. I mean, he's just so clinical. Like, I didn't love subbing Mane off for Jota, but, I mean, if – if you're not going to, then you have to take a midfielder out and change your shape a little bit, which, I mean, I thought we could have done, um, and I probably would have done, but, I mean, maybe that was just too big of a risk at that point. I think that was, like, the biggest one for me is who is going to come off because you knew at one point, especially in the draw game, that Jota was going to be introduced, and I know we just talked about, you know, stats not being a whole lot when we were talking about trends, but this is, like, one for Skaka on, like, Luis Diaz, and, you know, he had an awesome game, obviously, on the left wing, and honestly, a lot of the stuff, like you're saying, because they were able to focus more on... I mean, I don't know if somehow he gets uh, more opportunities because they're focused on shutting down Mo's side a lot more, leaving more space on the other side. Uh, but either way, Diaz, like that's where most of the danger comes. And honestly, this kind of like free-roaming role where he can kind of come towards the middle a lot more and stuff really helps the cause in terms of getting him open as well. Are you shocked or did you agree with that, like, taking money out, Gally? I, I mean, I, I struggle with this part of it, right? Someone has to come off. And, like, we ask him to make subs, and we get frustrated when Jurgen, you know, leaves two in the tank and then whines he doesn't have five subs. He uses four subs or five of his subs, and we're like, why'd you use all these subs? You should have left money out there. We should Like, I, I guess I, I struggle with that part of it. One of them had to come off, and I would argue you're never going to take Mo off the pitch at this point. If you were taking a player off on merit of play over the first 80 minutes of that match, you would have taken Mo off out of that front three because Mo had the quietest game of the front three between Mane and Diaz. Diaz was causing all of our havoc down the left-hand side, and I found it interesting he took him off in the 97th minute and I feel like that was clearly because he was like, I am not putting him in a talkie situation. This brand new guy who has come on like a world beater is not taking a penalty in this match. Under any circumstance, Luis Diaz is not taking a penalty in this match. Because I felt like Diaz still had everything to offer at that point. And I would have really rather seen him on the pitch than Origi when he brought him on in the 97th minute. I agreed with the Kanate one, and the only reason is, is I genuinely believe if Jurgen Klopp thought that Lukaku was going to start that match, Kanate would have started the match from the rim. He was put on there to play 30 minutes and go body for body with Lukaku, and I think they didn't want to put that on Matip. And I do think that was a the moment Lukaku got um, got introduced, Kanate started warming up literally warming up to come on, almost like he was told. As soon as he's on, you get ready. You're going in shortly after. And, you know, I, I, I understood that. The Harvey one was a surprise to me. Harvey Elliott wasn't in the team this morning, in the morning. He didn't make the bench. He only got put on the bench because Tiago's injured, which I thought said a lot for a classic Klopp scenario, right? He prepared his team, but then was like, it's okay. This kid wasn't going to play. He was good with that. He gets on the bench for injury, and now I need him, and I have no problem putting him in in this huge spot. 
and seeing if he can go make something happen here. Um, I was shocked, to be honest, when he wasn't included on the bench originally. And, you know, in, in some ways, I feel like that was a little bit of, if there was any silver lining in Tiago not being able to go is we're actually deep enough now to not put young Tyler Morton as the ninth player on the bench who has no chance. We put a player onto the bench that had a chance to come in, make an impact and, you know, help the team. I'm with Paul. I personally felt like Jordan again yesterday was for really, I felt Jordan was the weakest player outside of Trent. If you ask me, it would probably be all three players on the right. It was Mo, Hendo and Trent. And to be honest, that may speak to the fact that I believe if Chelsea wins that thing on penalties, they walk to Rudiger with the man of the match. And he probably walks to Martina's office and it's like, Oh, and while we're at it, why don't you give me that contract? I want because he is right now the best defender in the premier league, either side, any team. I will, I will say it right now on paper, 18 months, no player has played bigger in bigger spots than Rudiger has. And he's done it day in, day out. And he's basically missed, I think it's two games. Uh, he's probably going to land himself a $400,000 a week contract as a defender. That's pretty unbelievable uh, for a guy that Roma basically gave away to Chelsea when they got him. And the Chelsea fans booed him the moment he walked on the pitch. And for my money, he was the best player on the pitch yesterday on either side. Yeah, the good game. I don't know. That's another debate for another day in terms of like the best, like one of the best center backs. We'll talk that about their day. I mean, in terms of the, I want to go back to what you were talking about, like Diaz and Diva. I felt like, like Brian Shelton says Diaz was getting pretty leggy before he got taken off. And I felt the same. I think that's why he came off and Divock's fresh legs and maybe penalty wise as well. Uh, you might be right that we'd rather have Divock take that penalty uh, with his, you know, kickback, relaxed style. Uh, but more than that, I think we just needed more fresh legs out there because if you didn't put pressure on the ball up top, we were constantly kind of getting exposed in the back. And let's face it, they were closer to the goal in many times than we were uh, in that extra time as well. But the most important substitution of them all is uh, the very last one over here in the 120th minute. Mr. Kepa enters the game. First off, what do you... Think of that concept overall, Bickler. I thought normally I can understand you have a guy who's kind of like that's the specialty, but then you just had you have Mendy in goal who had like a ridiculously good game. And I mean, he's been ridiculously good all season, really, for them. And he just won a penalty kick for the FCON finals and he had like an awesome FCON tournament as well. Do you still go with it? Of course, the flip side of that would be, and I think I said this in the Discord channel when he came in, it is kind of like a psychological advantage that you get by putting that guy. What do you do with that trade-off? I think it's just a it's just a coaching philosophy like viewpoint. I mean, I think you can go either way with it. I mean, it's it all falls under the umbrella of player loyalty. I mean, we we banged on for a month about how important and how great it was that Klopp was starting Keller as a, as a promise to a young player. And then we had these two goalkeepers who were probably made similar deals in a similar situation. And we have a problem with it. Like you can't have it both ways. Like I think that's still player loyalty just in a very different way. Um, and I don't have a, I don't have a particularly huge problem with it. And I think if you probably ask Mendy, 
he was probably aware well ahead of the time and they probably know the deal. And that's just the way, you know, they do hours of training every week and see both those keepers in, in, in matches and practice all week. So I'm sure that's just how they have it set up. And I don't, I don't think it's offensive to Mendy. And I don't think it was like, I think you're right. I think there's a psychological advantage to it. I think there's also a physical disadvantage to it. You know, I think you've got one keeper that's warmed up having a hell of a game and a guy coming off the bench who's a $72 million failure um, who goes out there and acts like Martinez when he's not that good. Um, yeah, I mean, Kepa in general, I just want to slap in the face just because not only does he not look like somebody that I would ever want to hang out with in real life, I just think that you come in for $72 million, you're basically a failure – you get benched and you use your position to somebody that's an up-and-comer that nobody's even really heard of in the footballing world in Mendy, um, and then you don't have the humility to just, like, go out and play your best without, like, just the shithousery. And I understand that shithousery is a part of football, but I also think that, like, go ahead and do that, but you got to earn that shit to me. Like, you better than, like, you, you better go out there and, and, and play – like, you got to back it up with some play. And he's never done that. So for him to sit there and scuff the mark for Milner and then try to talk shit to Mo and to like stand on one post, I couldn't have been happier when he stood on one post and Van Dyke looked him square in the eyes and just shot it straight past his shoulder. Like, and the most unsavable penalty you'll ever see. Like, I, it couldn't have made me happier because um, it couldn't have happened to a more deserving person than Kepler to watch him have that happen. Then, I mean, you go out there, you let 11 in, you sky one over. It's like time to take a seat, man. How about you, Gally? I mean, he's a very – and I think it's one of those guys, like, he has, like, a ridicule overconfidence. Like, he doesn't know he's been benched. Like, nobody told him. <laughs> like, he still goes around like he's the shit, like the most expensive goalie as, like, he was before. Uh, but what do you make of the overall theory of, you know, doing that substitution? When it works, the coach looks like a genius. When it doesn't, especially the way it did in this time, makes you kind of look like a dud. Yeah, I mean, so um, no Chelsea fan was complaining when they did it in the Super Cup and he came in and saved three penalties and they won the shootout, right, and picked up a trophy at the beginning of the year. No one complained. They were like, oh, great, we got another trophy and this worked. This is a smart move. Um, it was clear they knew it because there was no – this wasn't uh, sorry trying to get Kepa off and him waving off, I ain't coming out of the game. The moment the board went up, Mendy started running off the pitch. Mendy yeah. knew it was coming. Keppel was warming up as, as they got to like the 110, 115 minutes. He had his gloves on. You knew what was coming. Clearly, Mendy knew what was coming. This is a conversation they've had. You know, Thomas Tuchel is, a, you know, a top-level manager. So it's not like this was some shock or surprise. You know, um, I know the guy for the Netherlands – back when Tim Crow was coming in during the World Cup there in 2014, he actually said, Louis van Gaal didn't tell me this was going to happen. Like, so he was pissed. He was shocked. That, to me, is bad man management. This was clear. This was the plan all along. And you make a plan so when put in that situation, you can execute. Do you this like the plan? Uh, I personally don't like the plan, but I think those players do. Because I think the players prepare all week long. And if Tuchel had gone, oh, I went with my gut. Mendy was having a great game. But all week long, he told Kepa he was going in if we get the penalties. Now you, you, you lose your backup and you lose your number one, who maybe is thinking, I don't have to do the penalties. Now, 
you know, Mendy was good at AFCON. He's been notoriously poor in his career against penalties, very few saves. Um, and they seem to feel like the backup keeper has more time to prepare for penalties. And that's what Tuchel kept saying. It allowed him to keep working with and all the, you know, the this guy goes this way and all the different mechanics of it. So I understood that part of it. Let's be honest. If it worked, Tuchel would be a genius. And the fact it didn't makes him a dunce. As far as the whole, you know, his arrogance and shithousery and all that, I feel like all these guys play these games, you know. If you believe what the reports are, Mo made a comment to Jorginho right before he took the kick. If you believe what Van Dyke was saying, that Fabinho told – Fabinho basically told him he was about to do a panenka and then did the panenka, and then afterwards Van Dyke's like, that's the most disrespectful thing I've ever seen or something like that. Like, like basically just – but, but, like, we don't have a problem with that shithousery. Like, Milner is the definition of shithousery. And I know, Paul, your point is Keppa hasn't earned the right to do it. But, but let me be honest. I'm pretty sure young Harvey Elliott would pull some shithousery, and he ain't earned the right to do it yet either. And we'd love it if he did. Because when it's in our colors, it's easy to root for it. I don't like Keppa. But I had nothing wrong with what he was doing because, honestly – he was trying to get in guys' heads because he knew he had no chance of saving any of those shots. And ultimately, that's what I felt. It was all mental because he couldn't do it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I get where you're coming from. To me, Harvey didn't cost 72 million pounds, though. And, you know, like, it's just like – I'm with you. It was just the know, point man. of an example. I, I, you're right, though. They all they all do it to an extent. They all do do it to an extent. I think The one thing I will say – one point I was going to make because you keep bringing up the highest – everyone talks about that. I hate when they do that, though, because it is true he is the highest-paid goalkeeper, highest, most expensive goalkeeper, but he didn't make himself the most highest expensive. He had an $80 million release clause, and they were so poorly run that they allowed Thibaut Courtois to leave so late in the window. They had no choice but to respond, and they went for, at the time, one of the highest-rated players they could get as a young player, and the only way to get him was to pay the $80 million. Let's not kid ourselves and think that they thought Keppel was worth $80 million. They just didn't have a choice because they were running their club poorly. And we've seen that a lot of times, right, when these huge release clauses get activated. To be fair, the if, they paid, worth it. if they paid 15 million pounds for him, I'd still think he's a dick. I mean, oh no, I, I think that's the dick. thing. I, to me, it's not the price. It's the fact that, I mean, obviously, I guess the price kind of works into it. You know, it. and I, mean, I think his backstory plays into it, right? Guy. His backstory plays into it. We saw him wave off a coach in the same final two years ago. And, like, first of all, it's so disrespectful. Like, it's kind of mind-boggling that, like, that you'd be that disrespectful to your manager. I can't believe he's still in the club. Yeah. I cannot believe that they ever let him wear the uniform again. Honestly. When you well, show up your manager goes back to how they run. But I think, like I say, the shithousery thing, there are certain players that you hate to, you know, you love to hate, I guess I should say. And if they were on your team, you will love them. Like you will love to have that kind of guy. They're like players like that, but he's not that kind of a shithousery guy. You know what I mean? Like I can see another team saying, man, it'd be good to have a guy like Milner who's going to come in, take the yellow card, knock a couple of bodies around at the end of the game in the last 10 minutes and stuff. You want There's it, not going to be a lot of people saying like, you know what? I would take Kepa kind of thing. 
That's a good point. No, you're fair. And I'm not defending the guy. I'm just saying the whole price tag thing always comes back because yeah. it is the first knock on every player is how much they cost. And then sometimes it's like they didn't pay it. Like, you know, they didn't decide that Andy Carroll was worth 35 million pounds. You know what I mean? 50 million pounds. The idiots at Liverpool on deadline day decided to spend that money. Was he a waste of money? Absolutely. Was he a failure? Sure. Was it his fault? He was the highest paid player and, you know, highest English player ever? No. That was Liverpool's fault for spending the money. You know, that's just how I look and at that. But like in penalties, you kind of expect shithousery. It's all about, I mean, I became a Liverpool fan by watching that final in Rome with Grubbler's, you know, spaghetti legs. I mean, that was like my first, you know, like the first game I watched it when, the, you know, like that's why my Liverpool love started. So, I mean, it's part of like the mind games. That's why when I thought Kepa came in, it's kind of like a psychological advantage because every Liverpool player knows this is this guy's specialty kind of thing. And, you know, like kind of like gives like the, I don't know, like the, my, it's all about mind games. And most of this penalty stuff is mind games anyway. But everybody keeps knocking him out except Kepa, who kind of skies it. And, I mean, those were – it looked like it was going to freaking go on forever unless somebody did that. Because, let's face it, actually, Keller got close to at least like three or four of them. And aside from Canades, I don't think there were a lot that you felt – uh, what is another one when I watch the replays? I think Jutta's almost hits his foot because it goes right in the middle. But aside from that, like he did not come close to any of them. But Bickler, I kind of saved this for you. I even put his picture up there for you today because I know you were a fan of Keller starting this game. And actually, uh, I don't know if you saw that, like Klopp talking about, you know, he's a manager and he's a human at the same time. And the human side won at the end. I mean, he looks like a genius now, but could that have turned worse? I mean, of course. My, my biggest, look, I'm, you know, I'm so I'm not one of those persons that has an opinion and then wants so desperately to be right that I want bad things to happen for the club. Like I couldn't have been more happy that that turned out the way it did. I'm just a firm believer that you play your best team in the final, and like you know, I said pre-match, like. Oh, we didn't start Harvey Elliott. I thought this we were playing the people that got us to the final. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but that's my point. Like, we're we're selectively choosing a player here that we're doing that with. And I know keepers are different than outfield players to an extent, but that was my general point. Um, I'm he he came up with some massive stops, huge stops. Um, but my fear was uh, that he was going to lose in a penalty shootout, or that he would have like a massive gaff or error um and that would cost us the match and that like that's just so hard for a young player to process on that stage um and it can completely change the trajectory of a career um so that was my that was my worry with him and I, that's not to say that i didn't worry about allison making a mistake he's got one in him um but like my my worry was what is the story if it happens, if we lose, what does that look like for Kelleher? Um, and I, my feeling is that it's borderline irresponsible to put him in that spot. And I know a lot of people disagree with me, but I'm glad that we don't have to have that conversation because he was, he was tremendous. And the funny thing is, I mean, he had like an awesome game. And I think if he 
if we lost some penalty kicks, like out of the first five, you know, we missed one or something like that, and we lose five more, I don't think it would be a big deal because he still had a great game. But I'll be honest, like when he walked up to take that penalty kick, I thought of what we were talking about on that podcast when you were talking about, you know, how would he take if he's the reason we lose? And instead of Kepa, if he misses, obviously we're talking a different game. But at the end of the day, you got to be really happy for the kid. And I think it kind of shows kind of like what an awesome team this is in terms of like the group of players. We talked about this before, Gally, in terms of, all these guys like kind of like support each other. You could see Ali supporting him on the sideline and everything. And I mean, that's a huge, huge moment in that kid's career. Yeah, we don't talk enough about the importance of the dressing room and the winning for this club. We don't. We talk about their mentality. We talk about Klopp, right? It's always about Klopp. The Klopp puts these guys in all these positions. Klopp has, Klopp has instilled a belief that the collective parts are better than any of the individuals. And I genuinely believe that. And I think, you know, you saw it pre-match with Allison just consoling Tiago, you know, weeping. And he's just sitting with his hand on his shoulder. And, you know, we, we, we saw it with Mo's reaction to, you know, seeing Harvey's ankle and just like the sheer fear and the waving of the, the medical staff on. Like, these guys genuinely care about each other. And, you know, I know... Every team tries to do it, but this team really does. And I think that's an enormous piece. And I don't think it, it doesn't get taken into account to why we've become such serial winners is that these guys actually get along in training. They get along on their bonding trips to the Middle East. They get along on match days and they get along when they lose. So when they get into tough spots, they don't point fingers. You don't, you know, I don't feel like there's backfighting. You very rarely ever see them even have disagreements on the pitch. And and you see that with other clubs and you see it with big clubs. I mean, how many times do you watch? And I know United is a shell of a big club these days, but how many times do you watch United game? Do you actually watch Ronaldo and, and Bruno yell at their teammates and not like Jordan yelling at someone to motivate, to improve, to organize. They yell at them like they are less than them. Yeah. And I feel like everyone has a place at this club. And I think we saw it with the backup keeper. And I don't know if you heard Klopp's comments today, where he basically said, I believe Allison is the best goalie in the world. There's no better keeper in the world. I also believe we have the, se- we have the best backup of anyone in the world. And I know I'm biased, and I just watched him do this, but this is a 22-year-old kid who is about to start for his country. And he's our backup. And I do believe there might be a little bit, you know, there are some rumors out there that he doesn't want to be second fiddle again next year. And this might have been like, hey, we're going to give this kid a little bit of a, of, you know, a showcase piece. We're going to show the world that if you want our backup, you know, you're going to pay us 40, 50 million because he's not a backup. That guy would yeah. start at what, 13, 12 to 13 Premier League teams, maybe more. He gets a start, you know, and I I just believe that this was a tactical move by the club to reward a player and possibly to look at the future, whether that be, you know, a sell on or giving him an opportunity. Because if I'm a club like West Ham, if I'm a club that's right in the middle of the pack and trying to actually push forward and I want to play out from the back and I want a goalkeeper who can actually play football, 
I probably want the kid who just proved that he can also take a penalty. Now, I didn't know he was a striker. So I guess maybe that helped because uh, he looked like a striker. And Kepa, well, he looked like he was taking a goal. Yeah, he, he, he looked like a goalie. And honestly, I think last year, because it's easy to get along when you're winning. You know, we always talk about like winning is contagious. They're getting on and it's easy to get along and be happy and pat each other on the back and give hugs to each other, high fives and stuff when you're winning. I thought last year was a good example to see how actually strong the team's bonds are, because when they were losing, they still were able to keep the same demeanor and, you know, like relationships. And that, I think, says a lot more. Like I say, it's very easy to have fun in the locker room after a win, uh, not as much after we lose. So. We've already gone over our time, but I kind of knew this was going to happen with the final. And there was pretty much a bunch of stuff that we didn't get to. But so one down, three to go if we're going to do this quadruple. And the next one coming up is the FA Cup against Norwich City, which is our next game this Wednesday. Uh, right afterwards, we are taking on West Ham on Saturday. So And they just came out of a long-ass 120-minute game. Real quick, Bickler, what do you expect for the lineup? I think the one thing that's going to be interesting to see, and I want to kind of like get your take on that too, what will Norwich do? Because uh, they have a big game coming against Brentford this weekend too, if they have any hope in staying up in the Premier League. Yeah, I can't imagine they're going to put a full starting 11 up against us. I just don't – it doesn't make sense for them. Their opportunity to get points is with Brentford, and that's their direct relegation competition anyway. Um Uh, that's going to be interesting. I think you're going to probably see, I mean, you could see a cost to start here. I mean, could this be a spot where we see Gomez? I mean, those are all possibilities and those all make a lot of sense to me. Um, so like, I think I could try to sit here and guess a starting 11, but those are the things that make sense to me. Right. I think you could see, um, a Jones start here, Curtis Jones in the mix. Um, if he's fit and available, I think he is. Um, those would be like my three guys that are sort of on the, the you know, on uh, fringe players that I think makes sense for seeing, seeing minutes here. I think uh, I wouldn't sign, I wouldn't mind seeing Luis Diaz getting a full start here. Uh, again, I mean, Diaz, Mane, Mo, and then let J Jata keep coming back to full fitness. I don't want to see him start a full match this quick off of an injury. Um, I'd get, I'd give Hendo a rest here. Um, those would be my sort of my major moves in and out. Mm, that's interesting that you put that front three because I was kind of expecting more of like a Divock, Taki, Ox kind of, you know. Yeah. I don't believe Mo there. will play. Yeah, I don't think Mo will play at all. I'm not even sure Mo will be in the match day squad. He just played 120 minutes coming off the AFCON and then just a, and I know it's, you know, Saturday at 10 a.m. game too. So it's not even like a Sunday, Wednesday to Sunday. Um, and I'm with Paul. I don't think Norwich will roll out a big lineup. Um, you know, I, I think getting Mo ready for West Ham is probably the most important. I think Taki gets a start. I do think Origi gets a start. Probably, you know, maybe this is – maybe Mane is the other one, and maybe that had something to do with him being the guy withdrawn a little early because he's the guy who's going into play and going to start from the beginning against Norwich. I think in the midfield – you know, I think Paul hits it on the head. I think we do see probably Keita and Jones, which always makes me nervous um, because then you probably either have Milner or Morton 
at the holding. Cause I don't think you're going to play Fabinho three times in a week either. Like yeah. I just, I, I, you know, it is Norwich. They should be playing a week inside and uh, you know, steal one from Cosgrove, right? If we can't beat Norwich making six, seven changes off the team that made the league cup final, then we probably don't belong in the quarterfinals of the FA cup. Because at this point, I still believe the premier league is goal one. Champions League is goal two, and the FA Cup is goal three. Yeah. For me, that's got to be your pecking order of importance. And, you know, you got another big match the following week that you got to get ready for on Tuesday after you play Saturday against yeah. Inter Milan. Then you got to play the following weekend, you know, against Brentford or against Brighton, who's a team that always seems to cause us problems. And I just, you know, it's just they're coming hot and heavy for a while now, and I just think we just need to – we have to win every match. Like, if we want to win the Premier League, we really have to go into every Premier League match from here on out. Like, we have to win it. And I just think that that's got to be in his mind and he picks the team for Wednesday, playing at Norwich at home. And I know United is shit, but they already always give City a tough time. So that should be an interesting game as well. But, yeah, I kind of almost uh, expect uh, – Earlier rounds of the League Cup kind of a 11 starting on Wednesday. And like you're saying, hopefully it should be enough to beat Norwich. I always worry about when you change too many pieces, how they kind of like click and mistakes can happen and stuff. But real quick, score prediction. Bickler, go. 4 nothing. Damn, really? Okay. I'll take it. I mean... It's the, it's the scarf, man, giving it's you It's storage, man. They, they're, not, they're not good. If it wasn't for the yeah, book, go. you look like my stats professor. But, um, Galley. Be a little bit a little bit more. I'm going to go 2-0, and that's more on your line, Timuchin. I think a lot of changes means it takes a little time for the game to bet in. It's always a little sloppy. I don't think we'll ever look like we're not advancing in the tie, but – I just don't know that we'll go full-fledged. And with that, we'll probably score three in the first ten minutes because that's usually how my predictions go. Chris's, Chris Strain says I'm with there you go. zero. But, yeah, but last time I yeah. believed Chris's optimism, I had ten heart attacks this weekend. So I don't know if I'm rolling with that. I'm going my standard issue 3-1. I think they squeak one with, like, a mistake we make in the back and stuff. But I think we do get the goals and advance because I really think they sh- – I mean – I might give Norwich a call and be like, you guys got to prioritize Brentford. This is your last chance because if they get those three points, at least they'll be in the mix. But uh, let's see what happens. Well, gentlemen, who's, thank you. One who's down. Who's in net? Who's in what? net? Allie. Who's in net for that game? Allison. You think Are I, you saying Adrian or something? No, they, there was talk last night. They were asking, would Kelleher start? And Klopp said, I haven't made a decision for Wednesday. It would be really good to give him a run out in front of the home fans, wouldn't it? Like almost kind of laid it out there that he might give him the FA Cup run as well. I don't know how much Ali is going to like that, but let's see. Christian says Milner in goal, which is the only spot we haven't used him in. So why the hell not, I guess. Well, gentlemen, thanks a lot. Thanks to all those listening. Do the sharing, liking, and all that kind of stuff. And Gally will be back with you guys on Thursday with our Thursday crew, and they will hopefully be talking about the victory against Norwich. Hopefully, it will be 4-0, just so you guys are happy. I can roll with that, and I'm sure Stitch can roll with that as well. Everybody, have a great week. See you guys next Monday.